0: Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
1: lifted me. Will you sing? Finish this song. It's back up. You grab it anyway and hang on to it. Look up at <laughs> Calvary. It's 245 in yours. <laughs> <one. laughs> By God's word. By God's word. stanza hey we finished it <laughs> guys will you come down and take up our evening offering at this time brother irvin will you bless the offering please sir Just in case. It's number 429. The the program keeps crashing. I promise it's not Miss Loretta's fault. She freaks out just as much as I do when the words open up on the screen. Why do I sing about Jesus? Why is he precious to me? He is my Lord and my Savior. dying.
2: He set me free. Why do I sing about?
0: Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31. Brother Danny, I was hoping if I looked long enough, I'd find somebody that looked better this evening than they did this morning, but I couldn't find them. So we'll just keep praying. That's the title of this evening's message is, When the Church Prays. When the Church Prays. You know, the great Adrian Rogers once said, The greatest problem in the average church is the lack of the knowledge that the members have and the power they possess through prayer. Let me say that again. The greatest problem in the average church is the lack of knowledge that the members have in the power that they possess through prayer. We have access to the great physician. We have access to the creator of the universe. We have access to a sovereign, holy, blameless Lamb of God. And we often walk through the battle of life with prayer lives that, quite frankly, would be embarrassing. If I were a doctor making a diagnosis on the condition of the church today, not just this one, but, but any church really today, I would be forced to say that corporately we do not pray as we ought to. Now, I am not saying that none of us individually pray. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I know many of you pray. Many of you are faithful prayer warriors. Many of you have prayed for me, and many of you have prayed for others uh, with me at different times. But, but I, I mean that corporately, jointly, coming together the way that Scripture commands us to pray... We don't do that as often as we should in the church today. Specifically coming together to to, to make a a list of prayer concerns and and to focus on just a few prayer concerns where we would just come together, join hands, join uh, our our place on on the altar of God and say corporately we are going to pray. And we're going to pray until God moves, until God moves. Comes in this situation. Not to, not to say we're going to pray uh, 15 minutes this week. We're going we're to pray often. We're going to pray regularly until God moves on this situation. And the reason that, that, that looking to this as a church is so important is because I believe that if we were to continue with the, the medical analogy, if we were to look at the lack of prayer for the local church from a medical standpoint, I don't believe that it would rank as a a common cold or a common cough or even a flu-like symptom. I believe that a lack of prayer in the local church would probably be more like a diagnosis of a stage 4 cancer or a blockage of an artery. Because the church that doesn't pray does not have its guidance and does not seek its wisdom from the face of God. When we fail to pray for our supplications and our visions, we plan to fail. Let me say that again. When we fail to pray for our supplications and our visions, we plan to fail. Now, most of you being intelligent folk that I've gotten to know over the last couple of years, I know you to be intelligent folk. If I said to you, do you like to head into an endeavor knowing that you have a plan that is going to end in failure? Most of you would not want to dive in to that endeavor. Now, many of my endeavors end in failure, but most of the time it's not because that's what I plan to do on the front end. Most of the time we concoct a strategy or a plan and yet many church leadership committees have sat in awe and in wonder as to why when they, when they plan everything out accordingly and they put the pencil on the paper and they've got everything structured exactly the way it ought to be structured, everything prepared the way it ought to be prepared, everything thought about that they could possibly think about and they get, they get to the event or you get to that class or you get to the launch of that ministry and suddenly it, it just isn't what it was supposed to be. And you know that you've planned it out well enough. You know you've thought about it long enough. And many times it's not the planning, it's not the preparation, it's not the pastor, it's not the deacons, it's not the Sunday school teacher, it's not the leader, it's not, it's not anybody else in terms of what their abilities are. It's the amount of time that we spent in prayer bathing that ministry, asking God to take that ministry and stepping out of the way of it ourselves. But here's the good news. I stand before you and I say, as most of you would probably agree, we don't pray as we ought. But the remedy is quite simple. Pray another prayer. Pray another prayer. If you haven't prayed the first one where you can pray another one, then guess which one you ought to start with? Pray that first prayer together. Pray Until the method of vision is to bathe it in prayer until God reveals it to you. So please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God from Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord, said, Lord, You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done." Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. God, our Father, we come to you. We ask that you would bless the reading of your word, God, we pray that you would bless the teaching of your word, that it would be accurate, that it would be proper. God, that if there would be any devil or any demon in this house that would hinder us from worshiping you, God, you would escort it at the door that it came in even now. God, that your people would draw near to you, that we would be changed by your word, that we would hear a message from you. God, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory because only you are worthy and all of God's people send. Amen, and you may be seated. An old-fashioned prayer meeting in the early church. In many instances in our lives, we pray, but we pray with very little gravity or very little depth in our prayers. And you know what I'm talking about, those rehearsed moments of prayer. Where you don't really depend on the Spirit's guidance in that prayer. You don't really have much offering of yourself to God. Uh, one of those just rehearsed. I'm going to say this because it's what I always say. My children say a lot of rehearsed prayers. I'm not saying it's bad that my children pray rehearsed prayers. But my children pray rehearsed prayers. Uh, uh, God is great. God is good. Let, him, let us thank Him for our food Amen. How many of you have heard that little rehearsed prayer? It doesn't take a lot of guidance from the Spirit. Is it good practice to pray before you take a meal? Absolutely. Is it good practice to teach your children to pray before they take a meal? Absolutely. Is it bad practice that they say the same prayer every time before the meal? Absolutely not. They're learning to pray. They're learning a method. They're learning something. But at some point in your life, you ought to be able to look to that plate of food and say, Oh my, that came from God. And you ought to be able to recognize the gift of God in your time of prayer. Now listen, sometimes we're going to throw up a rehearsed prayer. But sometimes the prayer meetings of the church are littered with these preconceived, pre-come-up-with prayer words where it would look more like a sign on the wall at Lifeway than a prayer meeting. Something that somebody wrote one time on a coffee mug and you thought, boy, I'll pull that out and sound like a real prayer warrior next time I get somewhere. But if you stop and think about it, praying is calling out to heaven to speak to the God of all the universe calling out to heaven to speak to the God of all the universe, to have commune with him for just a moment. Shouldn't we approach it with a serious reverence and a serious depth and a serious gravity? Our attitude should reflect the magnitude of what we're doing. The way we come to the throne of Jesus should be with a reverence and a magnitude and a real depth where we look to God and we say we realize who you are. We see this in the early church. We see this here in these verses because they they come to the Lord in prayer. And by the end of verse 31, we're going to see some crazy stuff going on in the early church. We talked about it this morning for a minute, but I want you to look at what they say in verse 24 that lets us know that they were looking to the magnitude of God when they came to his throne for prayer. It says, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. The first words of prayer show us that that, that they look. And they say, Lord, we are praying to you. We are praying to you because you're our master. We believe that you are capable of doing something about this situation. We believe that everything you've seen us through to this point lets us know that you're going to carry us through to the next point. And we want to come to you. We want to acknowledge that we know who we are praying to. And I believe that too many of our prayers today remain nameless. Dr. Tony Evans once said that praying without putting it to the name of Jesus is like sending a letter without putting a stamp on it. The content may be awesome, but it just ain't going to be as effective. The first thing they did was to take the time to recognize with these words, you are our God, and you're our Lord, and you're worthy of all the glory. That word for Lord is master. It literally means one with unlimited power. So they come to the throne of mercy and they say, Oh God, with an unlimited power, we're fixing to petition you. I want to to call out to the one who has an unlimited power. You know, the United States government was set up in in a really good way for a government was set up with what's called the checks and balances, right? So that no one branch of the government can become too powerful. If this branch heads this way, this branch has the ability to stop them before they head too far the wrong way. That's how it's supposed to work anyway. This prayer to God is a way that they come before the throne of mercy and they say, we realize there is no measure. There's no checks. There's no balances. There's no limit to your power. God, we are praying to a God that is above all things. The Sanhedrin had just told them to quit preaching in the name of Jesus. And they gather and they begin to acknowledge one thing and one thing quite quickly. The Sanhedrin don't got no authority in my life. The Sanhedrin might be the high court but they are not ...of a measureless power. We will pray to God. They look and they say, Lord, you are God. And we recognize that you are worthy of the glory and the honor. And they say, God, you are great. Look at the rest of verse 24. Lord, you are God. You are master. And they go, you're so great. You made heaven and earth and sea... And all that is in them. Now I want you to think about that statement. Because we, we read it quick this morning and I was running out of time. So I get to back up and preach a little bit that I didn't get to preach this morning. I ain't even got in this evening's message yet. And so we, we say, they've just been told by the, I was just kidding by the way, this is the evening message. I know some of you looked around and said, oh my gosh. That dude preached for 38 minutes this morning. He goes tonight, he ain't even done preaching from the morning yet. They look at this and you see, they say, Lord, you have an unlimitless power, God. Your measure is beyond our understanding. You're worthy of our glory. You're worthy of our honor. And and God, you created... Everything. They say, you know what? The Sanhedrin said that, that we can't preach Jesus, but the Sanhedrin ain't no problem for a God who in a, who in time past, who was beyond the measure of time, left left. He- I want you to think about this: left heaven and, and, and scooped out from nothing, everything. Let me let me say that again. I don't think you got it as well as I did earlier. He, 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 was, he was beyond time, he was beyond space, he was beyond all of these things, and out of nothing, God scooped out everything. He just, there it is. He said, let there be light, and there was? He said, let there be a folk, and there was folks. He said, the man ought not be by himself. Give me that rip. Oh, wait, up, up, up. there's a woman. We've been trying to figure out why he did that ever since. You're right, we needed it. If you've ever heard me preach a wedding, I'll tell you why, that God did that for us. God stepped out of nothing and created everything. And then out of the everything, He scooped out the oceans, and He puffed up the mountains, and He put the trees, and He made the grass, and He made the animals, and He made the people, and He did all of this. And when you look out that door and you say that a great, great God out of nothing created everything, how in the world can you look at your problem and say, this great God that came out of nothing and created everything can't handle the something that I'm facing. And that's what they were doing. They looked out and they said, Lord, your are God. You created it all. The Sanhedrin don't got no power. The Sanhedrin didn't create anything. They're part of the creation that you created. You see, I fear that far too often we fail to remember just who we are praying to. And if we don't recognize some things about the God on whom we call, we may mess around and miss out on calling on Him in the first place. Daniel 11.32 says, The people who know their God shall do great exploits. The people who know their God Shall do great exploits. They recognize the glory, they recognize the greatness, but they also recognize the governance of God. I want you to look with me at verse twenty-five and twenty-six. They start to to quote from Psalm chapter two. Can I just add this as an as an aside? If Psalm chapter 2 starts to be uttered in their prayer life, you know what that tells me about their time and, and what they devoted their life to? It must have been the Holy Scriptures that they had access to. They were so immersed in the Word of God that in their prayer life, the Word of God just started to come out. They began to pray to God and the words of God, or what came out in their prayer lives—that's so another sermon. But here, as they begin to to quote from Psalm two by verse twenty-seven and twenty-eight, they start to to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They talk about how Herod and the Jews came against Jesus, and they start to remember. And, and, and I think they have this warning from the Sanhedrin that they're not supposed to preach the name of Jesus, or, or there's going to be a great punishment that comes upon them. They're going to be struck down and in their emotions in their, in their first thoughts they might want to have a little woe is me party where they start to feel that, that all is lost but here when it would be easy to start to feel like all is lost instead of getting lost in that feeling instead of getting downtrodden in that feeling they begin to think of something they begin to think of something that there was a time when it seemed like all was lost and that hell had won Because on Calvary's hill it would have looked as if Satan had conquered, that death had won. When a blood-stained Savior was strapped to a cross and breathed his last, when he was taken down off of those timbers and laid into a tomb, it would have seemed as if all hope was lost. A big stone rolled into place to seal these things up. And it would have been very easy in that moment to have thought that hell had won, wouldn't it? To have thought that everything that you had been worshiping and everything you had looked to in this Jesus who had been here, who had been ministering for some three years, it it, it looks like it's all gone into that borrowed tomb. And that situation would have seemed hopeless. But as they pray to their God, they say, God, it seems like the chips are down, but we seem to remember another time when it seemed like the chips were down and your back seemed like it was against the wall when Jesus was was laying in that tomb and everybody thought that the situation was hopeless. What was really happening is you were delivering the knockout blow to that old devil. You were giving that knockout blow to sin. You were fighting a battle on our behalf that we couldn't fight on our own. And even though we thought it looked hopeless, all that was going on was a creation of hope that we had never experienced before, a manifestation of the plan that you had had since the beginning, that you were there and you were doing this great work. And while we thought it hopeless, you were supremely and sovereignly and totally in control, God. And if you were able to be in control in that situation that seems hopeless, God, you must still be on your throne in this situation that looks hopeless. Can I just point out something to you about their prayer life to this point? They haven't asked God for anything. We've preached 15 minutes of this sermon, and we ain't even got to the point where they asked God for a thing. All they've been doing so far is worshiping, acknowledging that he's God, spending time saying, God, I believe that you're my master. I believe you have a limitless power. And I remember that when things were bad before, God, you showed up and showed out in a magnificent way. God, I believe that you're an amazing God. And I want to ask you this. When's the last time you just spent time hanging out with God, telling him how great he was? When's the last time you went to the throne of mercy and sat down and said, I'm going to spend some time praying, but I'm not going to ask God for a thing. I'm just going to tell him that he's God. just going to acknowledge for myself how great God is. You say, well, that seems stupid, preacher. He ought to know how good he is. Sure he does. But he wants a relationship with you. You don't tell him how good he is to make him better. You tell him how good he is because it makes you acknowledge that he's above you and above all. And when you acknowledge that you serve a great big God that is above you and above all, my friends, all of those things that were fretting you start to seem mighty small in his presence. Victory doesn't begin when we ask for the solution to our problems, but it begins with a recognition that God is a sovereign God. But you know, if they had prayed that day the way that many of our prayer meetings sound today, they would have gathered together and they would have said, Oh, brother moderator, what are we going to do about that Sanhedrin? What is my family going to do if I get locked up for worshiping? God, what's going to happen to us if they come and punish us? But folks, they don't have a hand ringing, what are we going to do prayer? They have a Christ exalting prayer. And you want to know how to get the results that they get in verse 31, folks. We got to start praying like they prayed. Where we acknowledge that God is a sovereign God. But I want you to look. There was a supplication that they requested. They they did finally ask something. Verse 28, they say, To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done now, Lord. Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Notice they weren't requesting that God rain fire down on the Sanhedrin. They didn't say, God, that Sanhedrin's giving us trouble. I need you to bust them up a good one, God. God, the government is against us. I need you to bust them up. I need you to tear them up. I need you to put somebody else in charge of that that they might quit giving us such a hard time. They didn't come together and say, boys, let's get a petition together so we can take it to Rome and make sure that the Sanhedrin no longer has the authority. We can get some legislature put in place that comes against them. They didn't say, God, take us out of this fire. God, take us out of this mission field. God, this one's too hard for me to live in. It's too hard for me to glorify you where I'm at. It's too hard for me to live the way I want to live here. So God, I want you to just take me out of it and put me somewhere where it's easier. God, just put me in an easier place. But their prayers were not selfish prayers at all. They didn't ask to be removed from their storm. He said, God, let us do what you called us to do in the first place. God, let us preach your name. Let us preach Jesus. That's all we want, God. God, you're a mighty God. And God, by your hand, let us preach Jesus like we came to do. Psalms 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. And then you'll have the desires of your heart. Warren Worsby says of this prayer, he says, they're not asking God to do man's will on earth, but for God to allow man to do his will on earth. And I say of this, we could say praise God, but we could also say oh me at the same time, couldn't we? They said, God, just let us preach your gospel. Back in verse 17, the Sanhedrin said, don't speak the name of Jesus. And here in verse 29, they said, God, just let me preach Jesus. Verse 17, they says, listen, there's a threat. You're not to speak it. And son, by the end of this chapter, they're going to be not only speaking it, but the ground's going to be shaking while they do it. And it's because they recognized the power of the mighty God. And they said, God, if you give me the strength, You give me the ability, I'll preach regardless of the consequence. God, don't take me out of my difficulty. Help me to glorify you in my difficulty. God, don't make my situation easier or make me stronger. God, don't take these things away from me that are hindering me, but God, help me to glorify you and praise you and preach your name so that all these things that hinder me might get saved too. God, don't get this trouble over with and get me out of it. Help me magnify you in it. How many of us, though, look to our situations, look to our workplaces, look to the people around us, look to our own families sometimes, our friends, and we say, man, it's just too hard. It's too hard to share Christ in this place. There's just too much going on. There's too much lost and there's too much world and there's too much of this and there's too much of that. If I could just go here, it'd be easier. Can I just tell you a little secret? When you get there, it ain't going to be no easier. The prayer should always be, God, help me to glorify you where I'm at. God, we believe that you can use us. And we want to do it all for your glory. We want to do it all for you, Jesus. As we close, I want you to look at verse 31 with me for just a minute. Because I'm going to tell you what happens when you pray the way they prayed. It says, when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken. place where they were assembled was shaken now I've heard plenty of people try to argue that that's not a literal shaking from a physical sense they say it's more that the people inside were shaken by the prayer in an emotional sense maybe maybe But my copy of God's word says it was shaken. And that word for shaken, every other time it's used, refers to a physical shaking. So maybe the people were so shaken that they changed. And maybe the ground literally shook. I believe that the ground literally shook. But if I'm wrong, (laughs) so the people were moved. Church, I want to be a part of a prayer meeting where the ground shakes. I want to be part of a prayer meeting where the people of God, under the power of God, pray in such a fashion that on the news later that day, they say there was a small tremor in Wilson County. And I want to go to that newsman and I say, "What well, all happened was the people at Rocky Valley prayed. Get ready, you're gonna see more of them tremors. Because now we figured out that we have a power through a mighty God that we didn't know we had before. You say, Oh, that's that's stupid, preacher. That happened in the book of Acts. This is 2018. That was the book of Acts. Same God. Ain't it? Same God. Same yesterday, same today, same forevermore. He's still all powerful. He still created everything. He's still omnipresent, omnipowerful, powerful, omni benevolent, omni loving. Any other omni you can come up with, that's God. If He's an all powerful God and He's the same God He was in the book of Acts, the only thing missing from the equation is a bunch of believers that would get together and pray the way they prayed. That's what's missing. God's still the same. And if he doesn't shake the ground, it's because we lack the faith to pray the way that we should. You want to know when our lives change like their lives change? It's when we pray like they pray. It's when you quit hop- hoping that your situation gets better and start praying that God would be glorified in your situation. It's when you stop praying that you're Thing that's weighing you down would be taken away, and start praying that God would strengthen you in it. And it's when you start praying for Him to be glorified and for His will to be done. When we're Sunday school class, have a new spirit. When it prays like this, when we're small group, when we're friends, when we're family, when we're church, look different when it starts praying the way that they pray. And until we decide that we're going to be a people stooped in this kind of prayer, then we're just getting together to hang out. Let's pray this evening. Father God, God, we... We come to you and we look to your Scripture and we see a prayer meeting of the early church, God. And it's easy to look at that story and say, look what God did then. It's easy to look to that story and say, look what happened then. God, it's hard to look to your word and say, look what you could do now. God, would you stir up in us a desire to come to your throne, to magnify your name and to beg for your glory to fall on this place. Say, God, be glorified And if you are glorified, that's all that matters. God, help us to do what you called us to do. And we know that you'll supply for us so richly everything we need. God, we love you. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.